Hi, and welcome to Unapologetic Women, a podcast about current affairs, culture, politics, life, and how we got here. Brought to you by Tony and Sorsha. These are unscripted conversations about things we care about, not things we are experts in. Oh, and there's probably going to be a bit of swearing too. Hey, Tony. <laughs> Morning, Sorsha. How's it going? It's going good. I um, I have gotten into this whole running thing, which has been a nice, a nice outcome of of the crazy pandemic. Is I used to love, love, love running when I was a kid. I used to do long distance. I used to do eighteen hundred meters on track, and um, yeah. So I'm back, back into that, which makes me feel great. So here's the thing. I've been. I think I read this somewhere of like the the projects or the habits that we've created for ourselves during the pandemic and which ones will stick and which ones won't. Do you think you'll stick with this one after the pandemic, like the running? Yeah, I hope so. So the thing that it's replaced for me is my personal trainer. And so like, because that has all completely stopped, I, I've really put like my focus into me being able to like figure out for myself how to get motivation to get up and, and do something. It, that's not great for my personal trainer because I'm like I can do this myself. I don't need to pay you any money. I mean, um, that's the thing. I'm I'm wondering how many of these things that we've had to forcefully, like new habits that we've had to create or things that we've had to replace or that we've had to do ourselves. Waxing was one that came up the other day on a on a happy hour, and like that was one that, that all the women on the call were unanimous that no, no, I will go back to paying someone to do this for me for the love of God. I cannot do this myself. But I'm I've just been thinking about what are the habits that you're going to save money on. I'm going like, do I need a personal trainer that's actually cost a fortune or can I just do this myself? Or is this even yeah. better for me? Yeah. Speaking of virtual, not virtual, but yeah, it is virtual. Speaking of virtual running, pandemic, <laughs> virtual running, <laughs> virtual events. Yes. I wonder how, if they will stay around because obviously that, you know, it's untouched to be in person with people there are are events that will you know like a wedding or a christening or whatever uh being in person but I was on a virtual happy hour or not virtual happy hour virtual Hindu bachelorette for for the U.S. folks out there it removes the barrier to entry for me as someone who lives in the U.S. all of my friends are at home home being London and the Hindu was meant to be in Marbella Right. So that for me was a very expensive trip. I flew from US to London. I was then going to fly from London to Marbella, pay for the villa in Marbella, be in Marbella for five days, all of that. Right. But instead, we had five hours together on a Zoom. It was really fun. We did fancy dress costume. As again, you sit in America. I dressed up as Minnie Mouse. We had some geishas. We had Michael Jackson. We had Harry Potter. One of our friends actually dressed up in a compost bag. And had a compost dress, which was amazing. So yeah, it was just like, it was, it was really fun. And we played games. We did like a, a scavenger hunt around the house. Like the first one was like, you've got 30 seconds to go and find a toenail clippers. If you can't get back in time, you've got to take a shot. All right. Like, oh, I and it was, love that. it was so fun, Tony. Like, you know, there, there was another one. It was like, you've got a minute to go and find men's underwear, put them on, come back. And if you don't have them on, you've got to take a shot. And it's so funny because. People were like me, myself, I'm in my partner's mom and dad's home. And so I was like, where am I going to find men's underwear? And like, you've got other women who are, you know, living at home right now during this pandemic. And so one of the girls was like, 
okay, I'm just going to put my own shorts on my head because I don't feel comfortable putting my dad's boxer shorts on on my head. So, and it was like, all right, you got you got to drink a shot. <laughs> but does it? It's not. Yeah. The so it's really creativity is insane. Like this is it's interesting because I think we've done Hindus the same way for so long. Go out, dress the same, have a crazy night out, get very drunk, hire a villa. All of that is great and it's lovely. But this. Like I've never heard of like a doing a scavenger hunt at home. And it's just brilliant. It was. It re- and like we did the, you know, how well does Johnny know Tasha? And Johnny had answered all the questions and there was a presentation and we went through and Tasha had to answer the questions if it was the same as his. And so, yeah, we did one of like, how well do you know the bride? So it was it was really fun and really engaging. And it removes that barrier to entry. Like there were people yeah. on the call as well who had kids. And were able to participate in this Hindu without having someone look after their kid for, you know, five days. The baby was there. Like, it was totally fine. And it was just a really interesting mix. And I think I question how much of that will stay online once we're able to go back to physically being with each other. Do you yeah. think, were there women on that call who wouldn't have been able to come had it have gone found the normal Marbella route and were there women who had, who had declined who actually could end up coming to this? Yeah, yeah there were folks with the, with the kids and then I also was unsure because the, the other thing to note here is two of my best friends were getting married this year who both now weddings are cancelled and both wow. hem parties are now going vir- virtual and like I, could, I just couldn't financially make sense of how I was going to get to England four times in one year like and they were pretty back to back so like one wedding was mid-June the other was early July so it was it was tough and it allowed me to to be there for the full five hours and it was funny because for me it started at like two o'clock and for them it started at like seven o'clock so I was like not getting I wasn't drinking as much during the like day hours and then it hit like the six o'clock mark for me and I was like okay Let's, and they were already like in it. I was like, this is so funny, time zones. <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I had a very similar, dissimilar experience with, I helped a friend of mine who used to run like these roadshows, so briefings and roadshows where she brings corporates and startups together and the startups get to pitch what they're doing. And she does a really nice job at curating who gets to pitch what corporate, et cetera. And we shifted completely and went online. So I, we hosted a two hour meeting with just the corporates and it started at 6.30 my time. And so it was 9.30 by the time it was done. And the team was, it was these, most of the corporates were in the UK and her team was in New York. And it was interesting because by the time they were done, they all had a glass of wine. I was like, ah, 9.30, glass of wine, a little bit too early for me to start drinking at 9.30 a.m. But it was a weird, but I, I, I found myself going to the wine cabinet and putting out a glass of my what am I doing? It's 9.30 a.m. No, I can't. This is not a thing. But So to your point of removing the barriers, it also removed for me the whole concept of time and, and space. Like I was just like, I was on this Zoom where everyone was late afternoon. So wild. There's a removal there of boundary, right? Like it's Clearly. the time zone thing is always such a killer. And if you're in it for three hours, four hours, whatever, with people who are in the UK or people yeah. who are on the East Coast versus West Coast, all of a sudden it becomes like, somewhat acceptable to have a little glass of wine at 
two o'clock in two the afternoon. In the afternoon. <laughs> and also because I keep hearing most people and I, 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 I get somewhat shocked with this. So I have nowhere to be. I don't have work to do. I'm like, well, you, and if you're still lucky to have a job, you do have work to do. But it, it's like, again, it's like, yeah, but I don't need to be in a work environment. So I guess I could be sipping wine, which for someone like you and I who worked remotely, it's like, no, I can't start drinking at two o'clock in the afternoon. I'm going to get nothing. Like, no. So it's funny how all the norms have been like thrown out the window. And the flip side to that, Tony, is giving yourself permission to step back for a second. Yeah. And I, I've, I'm seeing it in a number of different spaces with clients, et cetera, of folks not knowing how to take a day off anymore because there is this feeling of, well, I'm very lucky I have a job and I've got nowhere else to be. So why? Why would I take day, a day off? And allowing yourself that permission to say, actually, I need a day off. I've seen it come up a lot and I, I've got to give credit where credit's due. My company has, has figured out a way to you know, have everyone have an experience of taking a day off. That is yeah. a normal work day. And it's, you know, it's just allowing for folks to actually say, okay, I do actually, I do need a day. Even if it's, I'm just going to sit in my bed and do nothing, I can take time off because we're coming into the summer months now where a lot of people had a week away with family. You know, they were going on vacation, whether it was international or not, and those are gone. And so people are just stuck in this rhythm and this beat of, well, I'm just going to keep working because I've got nowhere else to be. I'm in the house. I've got internet. I've got my laptop. If that's, if that's your job and you're not able to kind of step away from the computer and and just be be a person for a minute. It it reminds me of a thing someone had said quite early on at the start of this pandemic, which I thought was so true of. And you and I touched upon this a little bit at the beginning of this is not work from home. This is we're sh- struggling. We're fine. We are working from home during a pandemic. It's not the same thing. So we're all we're all going through the roller coaster of emotions. We talked about grief early on. Like that's it. Like we're all grieving what should have been, what could have been, what was supposed to happen, where we were supposed to be, the jobs we were supposed to still have, the jobs we just started and just lost. But it is important to note that thing of this is not, it's not a normal time. And we just have to figure out what that looks like. So the giving yourself, it's so true that the giving yourself the permission to to breathe a little. And I have that a lot where I know that when I don't want to deal with something, I just work. I just like plow on next thing, next project. Let's keep busy. What else can I do? And I hate, hate just staying still. And it's such a thing that I've had to learn in life of just if you don't, you've no idea what's actually going on for you because you've just gone to next thing and you keep working. You can do that endlessly. Um, and I think right now we're all we're all in this whether we accept it or not or know it or not, we're all struggling in one way, shape, or form. Because it's not normal. None of this is normal. And that creates burnout. That creates like mental fatigue that creates so many different lenses of you feeling like you can no longer do because you've given, you know, 150% to something. Yeah. It's interesting that you say you, you do the, you use the burnout thing. I've, I mean, you and I, I've, I've definitely had to catch myself of people saying it's really tiring doing Zoom calls. I'm like, what the hell, what are you talking about? But obviously for people who are used to doing phone calls during their business time and maybe one or two meeting a day, we are used to doing the back-to-back seven, eight Zoom, you know, eight Zooms a day. So I think psychologically and mentally, we're used to doing, like being active, being engaged, active listening, picking up the cues that are happening on a Zoom call, whereas most people are not used to that. And so I can see how that also increases the burnout massively. 
of just we're not used to by sitting on a Zoom and, and picking up on that. It's funny you say that. I had a call on, it must have been Thursday this week, with a group that I've been working with that are based in London. And they're predominantly probably in the you know late 50s. And they have completely, obviously, fully transitioned to be remote. And she really clearly articulated how she was feeling about this with normally she might have three meetings in a day. Yeah. It would take her an hour in the morning to get into work. So she'd have that time to herself to read or whatever. She'd get in, she'd get herself settled. She would then go take the tube for her first in-person meeting of the day. She'd have a 30 minute commute into that meeting. She'd get in and they'd do the normal kind of how are you? Let's chit get chat. Do you want coffee? Chit chat, blah, blah, blah. Then go into the meeting. And then she'd again have that 30 minute commute back to the office where she could process what just happened in that meeting. And she was saying to me, like, right now she is in eight meetings in a day that are back to back without this moment of processing. And because they're not used to it, no one is like facilitating the meeting to do a check in at the top of like, all right, how are you getting present to be in this content? How are you navigating from the last meeting you just came from or the fact that you just did a you know a course with your kids because you're teaching your kids at home? Whatever that thing is that you're coming from, there isn't now this like processing or navigating into the next like What meeting. do you need to do to get mm-hmm. here? Which to your point, she would do that organically by I'm sat in the tube and I'm processing the last meeting and I'm getting ready for the next one. That's so interesting. Like it's the, what feels to, and again, we're used to this, but what I can feel so awkward to people of having to get on a Zoom meeting going, how are you doing? What, how are you, what do you need to do to be here in this moment? People look at you like, what the hell is wrong with you? Because it just doesn't feel normal or organic in any way, shape or form. But we've had to create those new norms and new habits because we know what it's like to go into eight back to back meetings. It was fascinating, though, just hearing her like, yeah, you know, I miss that 30 minutes on the tube where I'm just reflecting on like, okay, so those are the next steps. That makes sense. I'm going to connect A to B. I'm going to grab myself a cup of coffee before I go. She's like, I don't have that anymore. It's gone. It's like it's just been taken away from me. I was like, oh, that's... And what a habit we've all got of we process while walking. I had on, on that, on the event that we did on Wednesday... One of the speakers was like, I am a walking speaker. How the hell am I supposed to present that? I just, I, I don't know what that feels like and looks like. And so it was interesting. He was like having to get into the space. Of like, I'm going to have to do a standing desk because there's no way I can present sat down. And he was like, and I clearly have a box that I can move in and I can sort of sway back and forth. And it was just like, again, like not a thing that you would think of. My dad asked me this. He's going to run a pub quiz virtually for a group of friends and someone had told him you should hide yourself you never want to be on a zoom meeting and see yourself and I was like I actually fundamentally disagree with this I think it's important that you know what you look like and sound like and what you're projecting to others and his response to that was I actually prefer it too but the 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 reasoning behind why I was given this was it's tiring to look at yourself constantly and again that's Mm. something that we're not used to we're we're pro on zooms meetings we're processing or whatever software you're using like it's not an ad for zoom It'd be great if this was sponsored by zoom. <laughs> but if if you're processing what uh, what you're seeing others in front of you doing you're probably having to process 10 20 different cues from different people but you're also processing yourself which is just mm-hmm. i think a thing that we've never had to do before 
Zoom meetings because you're not in meetings looking at yourself. No. And I think that's throwing off people as well, which I never thought about until this morning when my dad was like, should I hide myself? I was like, why? Why, why would you do that? I'm so confused. <laughs> I'm also having a moment of like, how would I hide myself? You can. There's, a, there's apparently a setting which we've never, there is a setting in Zoom where you can actually hide your, yourself. That is fascinating. It's fascinating. But again, I, I'm so used to now being in meetings with you where it's my voice, you, and my face. Like I'm, yeah. my meeting, there's actually three people in this meeting. There's myself that I'm trying to ground myself into. I'm talking with you, but I also know there's me looking back at me. Like, it's just so weird. <laughs> Like it's never, I don't know. I have this thing now where there's three of me. There's me who I am, there's you, and then there's me on the screen. That's so, like, I, pub quiz thing, Tony. Like how, pub quiz, how do you do a pub quiz virtually? Like what does it look like? I don't know yet. I I really want to use the, the breakout rooms. Uh, we're getting super technical here, but the breakout rooms in Zoom. Uh, the pub quiz for me is both a, uh, it's got a three-layer experience to it. There's the global or wider experience with everyone in the room, everyone shuffling. You're looking at your, you know, people that are going, what do you, why are you screaming at? Why do you have the answer? We don't have the answer yet. What is it? You know, there's the banter across teams. Then there's the banter within your team of like, let's do this. There's like that camaraderie that I think is really important. And then there's your own personal, I want to make this. I want to win this. I want to be invested in it. So there's three layers and I don't know how you yet, but I would love to find a way to create that like three-tiered or three-layered feeling to a pub quiz but I think for me the most important piece to that is the team dynamic mm. I wonder if I'm thinking about like other types of like the Hindu is obviously its, yeah. its own experience like the pub quiz has a similar tent like cadence to it like are there other virtual events like I know we've you and I this week in particular have been on so many different types of, of virtual events but like if I'm thinking about I don't like even even a book club like how do you have a book club virtually and have that same experience where you're in the room and you mm. get that like sidebar chat chit chat you know the chit it's the chit chat so, piece i talking of book clubs i had a very similar experience that you had with the hindu and fascinating by the way that zoom was created for a very corporate environment and all the things that we've named none of it is corporate it's like roadshows and pub quizzes and Hindus and now book book clubs. But I've been thinking a lot about authors who are launching books right now. And a book launch is organized like years in advance. It's like, you know, when what book is being launched, when you've got a time slot or a week that you can like slot into it for your own launch. So it's just, I've had a lot of empathy for everyone. And it must be exciting writing a book. You spend years writing it and then your book launches out the door. But I joined I'm part of a community called the Interintellect that brings together just like people who love thinking and, and, and discussing topics um, and going into the, the meat of the topic. But they organized their first book launch with one of their members, Jebba Mill, that wrote a book called Smoke and Mirrors. It's around hype. And I actually loved it, Sorsha. Um, like, mm. absolutely loved it. And I think loved it more than the real live experience of going to a book launch for two reasons. Mm. Mostly because I, it felt very intimate. There's maybe 20 people on the call, but you got up really close and you could like lean into your computer and listen, like really intently listen. There was no distractions whatsoever. And then they did it in a way which they had, they were able to have people from all around the world, like get into a discussion. So it was like three people in three conversations with her coming from different angles. So a historian asking questions and then a social, 
is coming someone coming from a social background asking her questions, which I don't think you'd get that, that, that kind of diversity in a room if everyone had to be geographically from the same space. Um, yeah. But then you had the chat that was booming. And I met three different people that I got on calls with the week after that I met via the chat because someone, I mean, the first one was like, I bloody love your hair. Your hair's amazing. I was like, well, that's very sweet, which would never happen in an event because most people are a bit, I'm definitely shy. So I think if someone had said that to me in real life, I'd have been like, oh, okay, thank you. And I'd just run away. Whereas here I was more open about it and was jovial and joked about it, but met three incredible people from three very different backgrounds. One person was in London, one person was in New York. And then I got on a call and created that dynamic and created that connections with these three people, which I found was amazing. Mm. So, and to your point with the Hindu, the barrier to entry was so low that I think people who were able to join this would have not normally been able to join. So I don't know, it created a level of intimacy, which I loved. It created a level of a dynamic um, approach with the chat. Um, and then I just met people. Um, yeah. I actually think she loved it too. I spoke with, I actually got on a call with the author as well a couple of weeks, a week after. And she had said that, it hasn't been a bad experience for her at all. Like it's just been different. And I think that's the key. Don't compare like better or worse. It's just different. Like, of course, there are things that you get from a real life book launch that you're never going to be able to get with a Zoom event. But look at the flip side of it. The amount of people that can come to a Zoom book launch is exponential. The conversations that you can have are probably greater. Um, so it's just different. Is, is there a fear? Is there? So, okay. Let me phrase this question. I'm thinking like if I'm if I'm someone who's never actually had had to be on a laptop, or maybe I don't even know what this concept of Zoom is, whose responsibility is it to ensure that tech literacy is not going to be a barrier for people to engage with community in this new normal we find ourselves in? And you, Anna, you do not have to have the answer to that question. It's a very big question. But like when you're talking there, Tony, I'm, I'm thinking about, you know, my own mother, who is an avid, avid book reader, literacy expert. And you know, she now is a little bit more familiar with, with the whole Zoom concept. But my nan, for example, isn't. It, it like just isn't able to, to figure that out and, and engage with it. And how, what are we doing and whose responsibility is it? to ensure that people don't get left behind as we move into this new virtual normal? It's a big question. <laughs> it is, and it's an important one. I think it's, look, we saw it with, I mean, I'll take Zoom as an example, but we saw the tech company stepping up and realizing that they had a duty when it was just like, well, your security is not great. There's a couple of things. And again, you and I had been using Zoom for five years and we never had any issue, no security violation because we were using it specifically for what it was built for intra-company conversations and communications, and that was it. You know, get on a call with two to 100 people, but there were no links being shared worldwide. There were no links being put openly on websites. It was, you know, we would use it with, beyond, within that boundary. And I think Zoom was very good at, oh, okay, it sounds like people are pushing the boundaries of the product. And instead of saying, well, hold on a minute, we didn't build this for that, they saw an opportunity to go, okay, it sounds like people are using our product and pushing the boundaries, which I personally think is exciting. What are the things that we now need to change in the product to make sure that it's secure, to make sure that universities can use it, to make sure that mm -hmm. college students can get on a call with 200 people and not have someone starting slurring racist chants at them, which is just a horrible feeling. Mm -hmm. And every time there's something built for good, there is going to be someone who uses it for evil. 
And I think that's, that's not, I don't say that as like a throwaway piece, but I think it's, it's inevitably going to happen. So I think there's a responsibility, a responsibility there from the tech companies to stay with it. And, and instead of saying, well, that's not what our product was built for is, okay, human beings are getting creative with our product. Here's what we need to do. Mm. But, and I'm sorry, no, no, go for it. And I'm taking us in a zigzag here, but I heard you talk about hype in, in that, the book session you were in. And and I'm just thinking about the hype component to this, this like virtual world we're living in. And in particular, stepping away from Zoom for a second and, uh, and coming to house party, an application that is, I think it's Snapchat owned or, or somewhere in that family, Snapchat or Facebook. For those of you who don't know, it's it's a video conferencing software that is a native like mobile app and you can have up to 10 people on and its whole premise is that you can hop in and out. So there are these like multiple house parties that happen at one time and you can jump in. And there was at the beginning, or at least in my networks, at the beginning of COVID-19 lockdown, a massive hype around house party and people have this this fear of missing out of not being involved with house party and and what it was and i i just want to know a little bit more about what the hype construct was in in the book club it's fascinating it's it, it do you have this when you read a thing or learn a new word and then you just see it everywhere it's like when you buy a red car or red you know red very specific car and that's all you see you buy a tesla and all you see is fucking tesla everywhere you go i had that with hype for three weeks i kept bringing hype up on everything my husband's like you get it you went to a book club and a book launch about a book around hype so everything you see is like a hype um like in through that lens of hype she she said a couple of things in in so her book is funny because her book starts off with the example of magicians and magic, which I found fascinating. I was like, well, where, where is this going? And she says, like, you, when you go to a magic show, you consent to the hype. You consent to being duped. You consent to the fact that what you know is happening in front of you is not real. And you consent that you're missing context and pieces and that it's just going to feel all kinds of different. But you actually know what you're getting yourself into. And the problem with hype, um, she explains also that it's a tool, like it's a marketing ploy. And the thing that we often miss out on in hype is to put it in context of what's happening. So, which I thought was so useful um, and you get it in, you know, marketing. Marketing is all about hype. It's not about deceiving. It's not fake news. It's not misinformation, but it's about knowing that they're trying to get you to do something. And so the, the thing that I pulled out of there, which I found was a very, was a very useful lens was just remember that everything that is said to you and everything that you see is sat in a wider context. And so take the example of the house party app. It's in a wider context of there's a fear of missing out. Like they're gonna, they are going to hone in on that fear of missing out. And I guess that goes back to whose responsibility is as a, as a citizen, you are responsible knowing that if you're seeing billboards for a certain product popping up everywhere, it's purposeful. It's marketing. And it's knowing that in your brain, you're going to constantly see ads for Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, there's a reason why at 2 p.m. in the afternoon, you are craving a Coca-Cola. There's nothing wrong with you. Um, it's not magic. It's just there's that hype that's been pushed upon you. And look, I had a, and this is less tied to hype, but it's about being conscious. And I think, again, it's a responsibility that we all have in today's world. But I, for the first time in a long, long time, really struggled with Mother's Day this year. And I couldn't figure out why. And I was like, oh, this is so bizarre. I, I lost my mum 24 years ago. This is not a thing. This is a thing I'm very used to. 
come second, third week of May, Mother's Day is on the 10th, I believe, or the second week, the second second Sunday Sunday in America and in Canada. And it's the third Sunday in Europe and the UK. Like I know that week two and three of May are just kind of wonky for me, but it doesn't affect me. And this year it really did. Like it was weird. I was like, I could find, I got myself being anxious or annoyed. And it took me a while to realize, oh, I'm spending way more time online. I'm spending way more time on social media. And I am constantly being bombarded with subtle cues about Mother Day. And every newsletter I open is like, happy Mother's Days. And then it was like tips of things that you can get for your mother. And it was just constant. And it was, and again, it's like, it was me having to step back and realize, oh, okay, this is not, none of this is good for me. Step out of the social media realm, just shut it all down because it's not helping. Which was a weird zigzaggy effect, but I think answers your point about who's responsible. I think there's a responsibility there of, of myself also just knowing that this is happening to me. And the Mother's Day thing is is actually really poignant. Like this year will be the first for a lot of people who are on planet Earth right now where they're not able to be with their mother, even though their mother, you know, is still here, right? Like, and I think that's because I have seen the same thing, this uptick in messaging on like, you know, I know you can't be with mom this year, but here are five ways you can like, you know, be with her without being physically near her. And it's crazy. Like it, it, it's always around Mother's Day time where the, it upticks, you know, buy these flowers. I get the email from Tiffany on, of the mom, you know, heart bracelet or whatever it is. But there's definitely been an increase in like, you should be thinking about your mom right now, subliminally. You should be there. It should be in the back of your head. Why like these things that you need to do because you can't physically be with her. And there's an important difference to be made between a marketing push and an actual helpful piece of content that's out there in the world. There's mm. a difference between, haven't found the gift yet, here it is, and a link to a bouquet of flowers or something that you can buy and deliver, or the here are 20 things, good ideas that you can do you know, when you're not. But it's knowing like who's profiting from the content that's putting out there. That brings it, oh, okay especially when you said the amount of time we're spending on social media. I have the, the iPhone thing where it's like, you've been on, like, you've Screen got time. 10 minutes left or whatever. Yeah, that's it. I have that. <laughs> it's driving me absolutely um, crazy where I'm like, yes, I know. I don't need to be told that I am over my time. <laughs> it always cracks me up where it's like, do you want one more minute? Do you want 15 more minutes? Or do you want to ignore it? For I'm like, ignore for the rest of the day. You know it's quarantine. <laughs> it's like the Netflix about... joke of, are you still here? I'm watching. It's like, I have nowhere to be. Of course I'm still here. I'm fucking watching. <laughs> so ridiculous. There should be an option in both of those of like, it's quarantine. Do you want these prompts? Ah, <laughs> uh, dear. We could talk about UI for a very long time, but I won't. Um, also, when I say UI, I'm talking about user interface and I need to acknowledge not using acronyms. Oh, boy. Um, okay. Social media. So when you said, Tony, the difference between a piece of content that's valuable and driven versus a piece of content that's intentionally marketed that's for profit. and understanding who's profiting, uh, that for me triggers this world of influencer. And influencer, I know you and I have strong feels about these that, that particular word and it being having negative connotations it having uh, you know an illusion around it of mistrust and dis disinformation 
disinformation, especially in the diet field and the, the female products that are pushed through influencers. And I just, I want to chat with you about like, what does, like, what does, what do influencers have on an impact with how you receive content on mm. social media platforms specifically? I think it's tied to the fact that we're all spending more time online. So the, the our go-to and the messages that we're getting are from the, the amount of influencers that are out there and their business. I mean, empathy to them towards having some empathy towards them or their business model has just gone out the freaking door like there's no think about the travel influencers or the beauty influencers that is all based on going places and taking pictures all of that is gone and we joked about well let's get ready for all the remember the time when i went traveling here like all the past pictures and they've all had to reinvent themselves i think again like the responsibility of both from the influencer but also the receiver of i've I personally started getting really annoyed and actually someone tweeted this, I think as well, of, I feel bad for all the cooks because everyone now has the best recipe for cookies and the best recipe for bread and all of these people who never did any cooking for all of us. And you and I have had that with people like, let me teach you how to run a Zoom meeting. And you're like, you've been on 10 Zoom calls. Just <laughs> stop it. S stop. No, you know, oh, yeah. come back to me when you've done a hundred or a thousand of these and then let's talk about best practices. But I think everyone is struggling to reinvent themselves and find a way to put content out there. And I would say that half the time, not even half, most of the time it's coming from a good place. The thing that scares me is when it's people who are trying to teach you something that they are not an expert in. And mm. as a user, we have stopped asking ourselves, I think, the right, the right questions. And we're just taking it as, well, she's got, you know, 200,000 followers. But wait a minute, she has 200,000 followers for being a beautiful photographer and a travel blogger, not for being a yoga teacher. So why the hell am I taking cues and learning from someone? And again, this is not the case for, everyone, for everything, but why am I all of a sudden taking lessons and following someone doing yoga poses who's not certified in that space, who is probably going to throw out my back because I'm not doing this in, a, you know, in the right kind of environment? And yep. I don't know. I, I, this scare, like, that truly scares me. And I honestly think it's coming from a more like, grounding place, which ties to hype, which is we all want to belong and we all mm. want to be accepted. And that feeling of belonging is belonging to a tribe that's doing something together. So whether that's a yoga class or whether that's a book club or whatever that is, like that is our human nature to want to belong. And as I don't think it comes from somewhere evil, I think these influencers are trying to create space for people to belong. And whether that's a cooking class or a yoga class, like just, it gets me worried. And the influence, the influencer model I, I don't have a problem with, and I think Instagram in particular, and, and I believe Facebook, obviously the same same uh, ownership now, but has done a very good job of creating basically like the sandbox for you to play within as an influencer by implementing the ad. You know, you have to denote that this is an ad or this is sponsored content, whatever that is. And so I I think that's that's been really helpful. The, the lens for me is once you get that, that influential status where you have yeah. 200,000, 500,000 followers, what do you then do with that platform? <laughs> and if your platform is just, I'm a travel blogger and I take beautiful photography or I, you know, I taste the most amazing food in the world, fantastic and staying in that lane. But then on the flip of that, there are some influencers out there who are interjecting themselves into politics interjecting themselves into public health right like it's that gray area where there are experts in this field in this industry that their lives work has been this 
And you're navigating this very gray line because you have a platform to then influence whatever your personal belief is around something. And I, I just, I feel uncomfortable with that. And I, there are good examples of it, but there are also some very negative ones. And it's interesting hearing you say platform, because for me, it's, you've got the platform that elevates your voice. You've also got a following and it's kind of cultish that people will follow a human being for who they are, regardless of what they're talking about. You've got, you know, you've got that. You, we saw it a lot with um, Hollywood actors and stars. And I, it's something that I actually, I agree with you. And this is something that's on the flip side of that, that drove me crazy is when they, you would get Hollywood actress, let's say, take Jennifer Lawrence. I don't actually know that this is true, but Jennifer Lawrence speaks out about a political topic. You often get half of the media saying, shut up. You've no idea what you're talking about. Also, can you just go back to being an actress? Just do the job that you're meant, which I think especially this happens a lot with women, but it pisses me off to a point because it's, I am not just one human being. You and I are not just someone who works in tech. You and I are not just European. There's so many layers to us. And I think we should be allowed to have so many layers to us and be allowed to talk about all the things that we're interested in. But it does raise when you have a platform and you have a voice and you have a following of, I think, as that person being able to say, this is my personal opinion and it's only mine and mine alone. I'm not pushing that. It's very hard to say, I'm not asking my following to do X or believe in X. Because if you have a following and it's in that cultish sort of, I love you for you and I'll do anything that you do, that's hard to navigate. You also, something that I am deeply fascinated by, and I think it's also tied to hype. And it's interesting because Jamila Jamil talks a lot about this, of the cancel culture that we have today of I'm growing and we're all growing online. We're all figuring it out. We're all struggling. We're all changing our minds. And again, with the hype, it's like knowing that something is happening in context. So really hard to take a thing that someone said 20 years ago without the context. It resurfaces today and everyone goes, that's a horrible human being. We should cancel them. Again, I, I agree that there are some things that, are, that people do and say that should just be inexcusable. But most of the mm-hmm. time we're missing context. We're missing the understanding. We're missing the historical time in what something was said. And this happened just this weekend between, I think, a journalist and Chrissy Teigen, and I don't know if you saw this, but journalists did an article and said something about how Chrissy Teigen was a sellout and Condo was a sellout because all of a sudden they use their platform and their notoriety to sell products. Interestingly, that this is a white journalist who called this out and the two people they called out are from Asian descent. And so you can imagine the backlash that happened there. But Jamila Jamil was one of also the people out there going, this is terrible, this is a disgrace. And I'm like, you are called, you spent your whole life telling people to be real, to be honest, to be vulnerable, to not go down the cancel route in culture. And yet you've just done that. And so mm. I think, again, everyone's now, you've just called out the bad, bad journalist, poor Chrissy Teigen. And again, I get it. Like everything was, it was, it was a horrible interview in and of itself. But there's something there with the cancel culture of just, I don't know. It's funny you bring up Jennifer Lawrence because she actually is a part of, of founding like director, whatever you want to call it, of Represent Us. For folks who don't know about Represent Us, they are a movement that has been created to bridge the gap in the United States of this polarized culture of right versus left. And she, I've, I've actually been at a couple different events with Represent Us where she's spoken. And it, it, just when you said that to me, I was like, oh, that's so interesting that you just like name dropped her when she actually does have a deep background in yeah. in that space. And I, 
I also think about, oh my goodness, I'm going to say Hermione Granger, but that's not her name. Emma Watson. <laughs> Emma Watson. Wow. I'm so sorry. Emma Watson to <laughs> me is a fantastic woman who uses her platform for things that she believes in and then deeply goes and studies and becomes a part of that. Like I think about her work with UN and the women's poverty mission. Like it's, it's fascinating because they know they have a following and they know they have this, this grounding in people where they can create an influence. And it, it brings up the question we've talked about uh, in, in previous episodes of like, whose truth is it? And how do you determine you agree with the truth, whether it's a scientific fact or yeah. if it's a particular belief that will change, change an opinion? So I think the biggest difference between someone like Emma Watson and Jennifer Lawrence, and I won't name, but let's say other sort of lifestyle influencers right now, like rethinking how they create community and how they create content for their audience to keep them engaged is money. Emma Watson, Jennifer Lawrence do not strike me. And again, I don't know the ins and out as doing this, using their voice and their platform to talk about the things they deeply care on for any monetary value. Mm -hmm. They're not trying to make a profit. Whereas it is very clear that the influencers whose whole model was making money off of an ad, going on a holiday, talking about a great vacation, talking about a great hotel, talking about a great product, their lively, and again, I don't blame them, but their livelihood and their, the way that they are making money is out the door. So they are trying to find new ways and they are smart. They're, the way that you are going to find new avenues and new sources of revenue is by diversifying. What else am I good at? What else can I talk at? What, what other bandwagon should I get on? Everyone's at home. There's no yoga classes. Great. Let me go into that room. And it might not pay off now, but maybe six months down the line, a brand of yoga pants or a brand of yoga mats is going to be like, oh, you did some really great content. Let's start sponsoring you for this. And I wouldn't say that everyone's, and it's very negative lens to look at it. I don't think everyone's looking at it through that lens, but I do think there's money that comes into account there. That is huge. And you triggered for me, Joe Wicks, who mm. I love. I love, love, love him. He is a man from Twickenham, proper like, you're right, lads, I did. Like very funny English man who started out, I think it's 10 or 12 years ago, running boot camps in Richmond Park and physically just being there. How did he, he talks about this in, in a podcast with Fan Cotton, how he has this like wraparound that he's painted on his van for like boot camps with Joe. And he has always grounded himself in this free content that he wanted to give to people yeah. for how to be fit and how to be healthy. Yeah. And of all the influencers out there, it, that I've seen during this pandemic. Joe Wicks, to me, has has one, stayed true to what his original offering was to the world of being fit and being healthy. And he's partnered with parents, I'm going to say, around the world by doing every morning, Monday through Friday, 9am, it's called PE with Joe. And it's a half an hour where you and your kids can get in and get fit and get healthy on whatever it is. And he uses his platform of now, I believe he's at like 9 million or something wow. ridiculous followers. Whereas before the pandemic, he was in the like, you know, 1 million mark, but he uses his platform and the content hasn't changed. It's, it's just a wider audience. His content is like, this is where I'm good at. This is what I'm good at. And then this is how I'm going to help you because these are the things I know to be true. And he's turned it into a multi-million dollar business, right? Like he now has full fitness programs. He's got a partnership with Gusto where they deliver Joe Wicks's recipes to your house, similar to the HelloFresh thing, right? Like it's, and I, I don't know, there's that. And cause he was originally supposed to do 
a school tour around the UK while COVID happened about like, you know, keeping kids fit and healthy. And that's when he shifted, right? And pivoted. Okay, this content now has to be free because I need everyone to have access to it. And I'm going to just do it every day. doesn't matter. And, and you can join virtually because it's now anywhere in the world can do PE with Joe Wicks. And I just, I think that's a, it's a nice, it's a nice side of humanity that it's always good to like point out. And it sounds like he hasn't diversified his content. He's diversified his platform in the format, which is incredibly, and like those are the people that are going to succeed. It truly is that idea of, the world has changed. I still want to do the thing that I'm incredibly good at. How am I going to get that out there? Um, and I honestly, I, I, and look, this is just super personal to me, but I do think that people who are going to come out of this stronger with bigger audiences, with bigger revenue streams are the people who do it for good of humanity right now, delivering free content. It's not about making a buck now, but I will turn this into a business. And this was actually the whole prompt that was fascinating about that New York piece, which we'll link below the episode, which was there is nothing wrong especially for women and women of color to make money and create revenue out of something that they are incredibly good at and something that they mm. built an empire and they spent years doing it. So why are we putting down women for making revenue? Like similar to Joe Wicks, we shouldn't be putting down because he created something incredible. DJ Nice was the same thing on Instagram. He just want, he is a DJ. This is what he loves doing. He clearly missed it. And one day, a couple of weeks, six weeks ago, he decided to throw up his Instagram live and just rock and roll for whomever wanted to join. And you had people like Biden and Barack and Michelle Obama join and incredible notoriety of people just joining and Beyonce, but he's kept it up and he stayed true to himself. And he, what is it? 300, 400,000 people tune in on a weekly basis to just rock out with this, with this DJ. And he's going to make a profit out of this down the line because it's incredibly smart what he has done. And there's nothing wrong with that, but he's stuck with the thing that he knows best. And I think that's ultimately where this is coming from is. You have incredible responsibilities as an influencer of what you're putting out there. Yeah. And the transparency piece around what you're actually engaging with and the content that you're producing to be able to ground in your audience of, I haven't just flipped a switch to make a buck. And there's nothing wrong. Let's be clear. There's nothing wrong in sharing your favorite recipe. Where I get worried is it's here's how to get slim during what we talked about. Here's how to lose some weight during quarantine. Here's how to do a yoga class when it's actually not your expertise. And you can literally throw out your back trying to do a yoga pose if it's <laughs> not directed to you in the right way. We've all been there. But it, it is finding that confidence of, hey, I, I, some woman did it really well where she just gave birth, just had a newborn baby. And she was saying on Instagram that she'd worked with a sleep therapist to help her or a sleep specialist to help her and her kid get through a rhythm. And she got a lot of questions from people saying, what did she tell you? What did she share? And I thought her answer was brilliant, which is every mum, every child is unique and different. There's a reason this woman charges to do a, consult- a consultation with me. I, cannot, I refuse to give you what she told me because this was what she told me to do was after hours of sitting down with me and my baby and my surrounding and the context and understanding all of this. So I would do you a disservice and I do her a disservice. And that was, I want more answers like that from these influencers. I think that is a perfect closing for us, Tony, because you just, to me, brought us full circle to that first question you asked, what's going to stick? And what are the things that will not stick because there are experts who are designed, who are out there that do that as a profession versus what you can learn for free online?
thank you everyone for joining us and for sticking with us until the end welcome to all of the new people hope you enjoyed your first episode you can always get all of the episodes at www.unapologeticwomen.co or you can also follow us on instagram and you can find all of these on all of the places you would normally get your episodes thank you and talk to you next week